Ubiquity, the history of designs we take for granted. Created by Chris Whitwood. In 1944, the Allied armies landed on the beaches of Normandy. The liberation of France brought freedom to millions, and to Marcel Bick, it brought a new opportunity. During the war, the Italian-born Frenchman had been working as a production manager for an ink company, but left that job and with his business partner, Edouard Bouffard, purchased a factory in Clichy, a northwestern suburb of Paris. After repairing the factory's slightly leaky roof, Bic and Bouffard began producing parts for mechanical pencils and fountain pens. For the previous century, fountain pens had been the writing implement of choice. Unlike earlier dip pens, which had superseded feather quills, fountain pens did not require a separate inkwell. Instead, the ink was contained in a reservoir within the pen. This not only reduced the risk of mess from ink splodges and spills, making it easier to write on the move, the self-contained reservoir sped up writing by allowing for a smoother style. Dip pens, like quills, have no reservoir and so must be recharged every few words, either by dipping the nib in an inkwell or by using an eyedropper or brush. As a result, writing had to be done with care to avoid blotches from a pen heavily laden with ink or letters fading as the nib ran dry. By contrast, a fountain pen only requires refilling after several pages. One person to take advantage of these benefits was the diarist Samuel Pepys, who as early as 1663 described a silver pen to carry ink in which is very necessary. The introduction of steel rather than expensive gold or silver nibs and the economics of mass manufacture over subsequent centuries meant that by the 1940s, fountain pens dominated the market. Yet despite its advantages, the fountain pen still has its drawbacks. The ink takes time to dry, meaning it can still be smudged on the page and being water-based, if used outside, rain can cause writing to run. Steel nibs notwithstanding, in the 1940s they were still also relatively expensive. When it came to writing implements that were both cheap and could be used outside, pencils were still the best option. The person who could develop and market a pen that had the practicality and affordability of a pencil would make a fortune. The challenge was coming up with a design that could be manufactured at low cost while still working reliably. The concept that would eventually make this possible was the ballpoint pen. However, it would take nearly six decades of evolution to truly come to fruition. The first patent for a ballpoint pen was issued to John J. Loud in 1888. Loud was a cashier at the Union National Bank in Weymouth, Massachusetts, and had a keen interest in inventing, having patented a design for a toy cannon the previous year. He devised a pen nib which, instead of the capillary slit of a fountain pen, consisted of a small steel ball held in a socket. Loud's aim had been to create an improved reservoir pen for marking on rough surfaces such as wood, coarse wrapping paper and other articles where an ordinary pen could not be used. Unfortunately for Loud, even though his invention could be used for writing on surfaces such as wood and leather, it was too rough for paper and not commercially viable. Though many people tried to develop a design similar to Loud's, early ballpoint pens rarely delivered ink evenly. They were prone to clogging, overflowing and leaking. It was not until the 1930s that a Hungarian inventor would find a solution. 
His name was Laszlo Yosef Biro. Biro was a journalist and well accustomed to the tribulations of using a fountain pen out in the field. Working for a newspaper, he noticed that the ink used in fountain pens was thinner and took longer to dry than the more viscous ink used in printing presses. Laszlo's brother, George, was a dentist and also a skilled chemist. Between them, the pair improved the design of the ballpoint pen and, crucially, formulated an ink that could be applied smoothly and dried quickly. The principle underpinning a ballpoint pen is the same as for a roll-on deodorant. Ink is housed in a reservoir inside the body of the pen. The ball and socket in the nib keep the reservoir airtight, preventing the ink from drying before it is used. However, just as the ball of a roll-on deodorant rotates when pressed against the skin, the ball in a ballpoint pen's nib turns when pressed upon the page, bringing with it from within the reservoir just the right amount of ink. The texture of the ink was key, too thin and it would leak, but too thick and it would not be released when the ballpoint turned. Solving this problem made Biro's innovation so successful that the English pronunciation of his name, Biro, is now an example of a generic trademark. Just as vacuum cleaners are now widely referred to as hoovers, and the name Post-it is used to describe sticky notes regardless of brand, the word Biro is synonymous with the ballpoint pen. Biro's plans to manufacture his pens in Europe were disrupted by the outbreak of the Second World War. As Jews, the brothers, along with a friend, Juan Jorge Main, chose to emigrate to Argentina in 1941. Two years later, the Birome, a ballpoint deriving its name from those of its three creators, went on sale. It soon caught the eye of the Royal Air Force, who purchased them for use by air crews as an alternative to fountain pens, which were prone to leaking due to air pressure changes at high altitude. As the war drew to a close, two American companies teamed up to license the pen for half a million dollars. However, it was another business, Reynolds, whose founder had come across the ballpoint design while in Argentina, that developed a design just different enough to avoid Biro's patent that brought the ballpoint to market first. Despite costing $12.50, equivalent to nearly $190 in 2021, when they went on sale at Gimbel's department store in New York, 30,000 were sold in the first week. Other manufacturers soon followed, and before long, the market was saturated. The price meant that ballpoint pens remained, like fountain pens, desirable items. People bought refills, but not replacements. It is now that the story returns to France. Marcel Bic recognised the value of high-sale, low-cost business. Rather than marketing ballpoints as a premium product, he focused on creating a pen that was not just reliable, but cheap enough to be almost disposable. He licensed and improved Biro's design, using Swiss watchmaking technology to manufacture steel balls for the nib that were small and precise enough to prevent leaking. Bic also capitalised on the emergence of plastics to come up with a pen that could be mass-produced in extraordinary numbers. The result was the Bic Crystal, often known simply as the Bic Biro. Launched in 1950, it has been a phenomenal success. In Britain at the time, a ballpoint could commonly cost about 55 shillings. A Bic Crystal could be bought for just one. Cost is not the only benefit. The clear polystyrene case means it is easy to see how much ink is remaining in the pen. Its hexagonal shape, mimicking that of pencils, provides easier grip 
than on cylindrical designs. In one face is a tiny hole to equalise air pressure inside the pen and ensure the ink flows smoothly, and the polypropylene cap is coloured to match the ink. With the exception of replacing the steel balls for harder ones made from tungsten carbide in 1960, and the introduction of a vent in the cap three decades later to reduce the risk of suffocation if inhaled, the design of the big crystal has hardly changed in over 70 years. In 2006, BIC sold their one billionth crystal. By reducing the price of a ballpoint pen to a fraction of what it had been, the BIC Biro revolutionised stationery and arguably the act of writing itself. This is particularly true in developing countries where access to cheap writing implements has had a transformational effect on education and business. The big crystal highlights that good design does not always need to create a new concept. Instead, a product may be successful because it has honed previous innovations, capitalised on new material technologies, or produced the same results as competitors at a fraction of the cost. Big Spyro achieved all three. Thank you for listening to Ubiquity, the history of designs we take for granted. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow the series on social media using the handle ubiquity underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram, or search Ubiquity Podcast on Facebook. All episodes will be available on YouTube. Please leave a like and a comment, as I'd love to hear your feedback and your ideas for future episodes. If you want to support the podcast financially, or just say thank you, please visit the Ubiquity Podcast Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ubiquity underscore pod. Patrons will also gain access to all of the scripts as episodes are released, and will be able to vote on subjects for episodes in upcoming series. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you once again for listening.